Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan. With me, as always, is a man who often plays hide-and-seek naked in an Olympic stadium. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, and I do, but when I do, it's only with my dream children. Yeah, right. Well, dream, I, well, I think that's her, right? I don't know. It's complicated. Oh, yes. No, that one's meant to be her young self, yeah. I believe, at the end. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, I was. I just realized it's probably not an Olympic stadium. I don't know what stadium that is supposed to be. It's nineteen thirties, I think. So uh, I don't know what that stadium is. But it's probably just the national stadium, or whatever. But like, I got right. Olympics. The, on the stadium brain. it's supposed to be and the stadium it is are probably different. But true. Uh, I mean, I, I, but I have like, I have Olympic brain right now. So of course you do, um, because yeah. because it's happening and shouldn't be. No, it's a so. nightmare. Um, so we've hit record numbers of uh, COVID nineteen cases for like a week what? in a row. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, things are going great um, here. Sure, there's five thousand. Wait, but only five... only for a week in a row, which means. Well, we can get into this. I've been explaining this to a lot of people because there's a lot of things that go into the psychology of pandemics that have to be taken into consideration here. Okay. To a certain extent, a government telegraphs to its people what it takes seriously and what it doesn't take seriously if you just if yeah. you declare a state of emergency while simultaneously saying also we all need to prepare for the olympics here they come let's all get very excited people start to ignore your state of emergency because maybe it isn't so important and maybe they start yeah. infecting each other really bad um yes they are all pre we're getting right on the edge right of it being right current right, infections right, right, rather right, right. than than infections that occurred before the olympics but you know, you our state of emergencies were already kind of air quote state of emergencies. It was like, don't go out drinking after 8 p.m. Don't yeah. like, but still you need to go to your office every day and ride on the train. Like, so it's already kind of a quote unquote a state of emergency. And then if you, if they, and it's already the fourth one. And so like, they've all been like this. And so, you know, like people are kind of like, okay, but you guys are going to have the Olympics and we're going to go out drinking. Okay. That's cool. Right. And, you know, again, keep yeah. going to work every day, too. Like, right, like nobody's getting to work from home. That's not happening. So, oh, uh, yeah. Good Things times. are great here. Great times. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. Mm. So glad that you're not anywhere near Tokyo. So. Yeah, me too. Although, you know, I mean, things are rising everywhere. Like, keep in mind, it, there's also a sort of, like, statistical thing, right? Like, for a while there, our area was actually statistically worse because our population so much smaller when we have a bump in like thirty, like a thirty-person bump in cases, it's like the equivalent of like Tokyo jumping like three thousand or something ridiculous like that, is what somebody told me. Because it's like, oh yeah, your three, your three hundred and fifty thousand people who live here, that thirty is very significant. Yes, like yes. very, very significant compared to the place with like a hundred million people living in it. Yeah, well, that's not a hundred million, but you know what I mean. Current population is thir- is fourteen million. I maybe overshot it a little.
Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and you can uh, get some bonus content. Yeah, We do a non-Criterion bonus episode over there January through November. Our December non-Criterion bonus episode gets released to everybody as our holiday special. But uh, but over there, it is 11 a year uh, that our supporters get to vote on. They get to help decide, and they can suggest lists, too, if they like. So if you want to, uh, if you got a movie that's outside the Criterion Collection that you want to make us watch, that's the that's a good way to do it. Uh, but yeah, just a dollar a month, and you get access to the entire Bat Catalog. So we've got plenty of fun episodes where we watch things like Critters 2 and uh, Ernest Goes to Camp and Ready Player One and uh, Louis Maul's God's and Country. Like, I was going to continue uh, naming not very good movies. <laughs> God's Country is well, one you did, of the best I, movies. Well, I was going to say that before I you, I, you threw in the one good you. one in the list. I tricked you. Make me look That's bad. right. I tricked you into insulting Louis Maul's God's Country. My work here is done for the day. <laughs> Pack it up. Let's go uh, home. Pat's confi- oh, Pat's yeah. way overstated the population of a city, and we've over and we've talked about God's Country as though it's a bad film. Done and done. It is nine thirty a.m. Saturday morning, and my day will not get better than this. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, all that at a dollar, and uh, and we got a pretty good chunk of dollar supporters. And I'm very happy with it. Um, added a couple more in the last last six weeks, and. That's exciting too. Yeah, anyway, they, they get on that to trend. To your dulcet tones. Oh yeah, and listen yeah. to me make a fool of myself. <laughs> we both make fools of ourselves. It's fine. I feel uh, like I'm doing a better job of it than you are, though. Let's be clear here. Probably. If it's a competition, I'm or, winning uh, right now. Okay. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> For a little extra five dollars a month, we just like to thank those people on air, people who who think uh, they want to support us a little more, keep us going, but uh, but maybe not too much. Um, <laughs> why we've only got why one do you always make supporter. it sound like Steven's a bear? Like, you're like, always oh, like, you know, who like us, but don't like us that much. I, I do it because I know he doesn't listen actively. So okay. it's, it's like he'll never, he won't discover uh, it until one day, until your guys' next quarantine when he's like, I should listen to all those Lost and Criterion episodes. That yeah. I yeah. And it's like suddenly he's like, wait a minute. Adam's been maligning me yeah. for for months now. No, I d- I describe it that way because uh, we had a lot of five dollars supporters and they all bumped up to ten. I mean, the so, ten's a better value. Uh, let's be clear here. And the, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And obvious, obviously, as capitalists, we want people at the ten dollar mark. So I got to downplay the five dollar mark. It's just it's it, it's economic sense. Um, no, uh, we do like to thank. <laughs> Thank our five dollars supporters, and uh, there's only one right now, Stephen Goldmeyer, who's a, a good friend and and very happy to have him support us. As I said, though, there's only one five dollars supporter because so many of our five dollars supporters up to ten dollars because the ten dollar thing is a really fun thing. I think uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little thank you note, and mail that off once a month, and it's uh, it's fun. It it's is fun, fun, right? It's fun to do. It is an exciting yeah. thing that people maybe want the things I make. Oh, they definitely want. I, I, I don't know why you don't get them di- directly because so many of them come to me on Twitter, but the supporters who pay I for don't the know. I've cultivated level, a, a, really. a, a, per, a some sort of cult of like, <laughs> do not directly address yeah. Pat. People, 
people are afraid to <laughs> afraid to compliment you. Like they know I can't. Uh, I think they've actually read read me very correctly, which is I cannot handle it. Uh, right, like right, I'm not right, built. Right. I am. I am it's, Midwestern. To it's my not core. that you'll get angry. It's like you won't. You just won't respond. I will. It's, I will. You panic. have no idea what to do. It will probably yeah. ruin my day, frankly, because I'll probably spend yeah. an entire. <laughs> like one time, I forget what it happened. Somebody said something nice to me on Twitter one time, and it took me literally like eight hours to figure out how to respond. <laughs> oh, I just mulled over it all day, and not not at all surprising. Um. I mean, mostly, mostly I respond immediately and say, "Nope, you're wrong." Uh, <laughs> that's 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 how I take compliments. So anyway, uh, we do like to thank our ten dollar and above supporters as well. So thank you so much to Chris Otto, to Jason Westhaver, Michael McGrath, Patrick Yako, and Adam Spickerman. Our current thank you very much slew of ten dollar and above supporters. Wow, we've hit slew uh, territory now. Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're uh, we're so happy. Fantastic. So happy for your support, everybody's support, and so happy for you listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate yeah. it. It is it I'm gobsmacked to to think that people like give us money. It's <laughs> it, it blows my mind every if I spend too much time thinking about it, it starts to give me a bit of a panic attack. So we should move on. Well don't. Yeah, let's move on. Uh Pat, we've got a, <laughs> we've got a treat of movie. a movie this. <laughs> We've got a treat of a movie this oh, year. Oh yeah, we do. Uh, in in the realm of the senses, uh, the uh, Japanese French production from 1976, directed by Nagisa Oshima, uh, it is a co-French production because this movie is illegal in Japan. It is and might not still be illegal, illegal in Japan. Japan. Let's be very clear. We're gonna get dig into this really. We're gonna get. Yeah. We're gonna. This is gonna be our most titillating episode ever. Um, oh boy! No, uh, I will say, yeah, no, it is not illegal. It is illegal in its in its uncensored form. Yes, yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, that's what I meant. It is well, right? But it's it not. But, but you know, be... like I mean, you have to draw a bit of a distinction between like right. what's happening here and those like, and then Germany banned it because it made fun of the Nazi. You know what I mean? Like, it, like right, right. Like, right. You can this watch is, this movie right. here. You're gonna see it the way that like. Japanese porn looks, which is censored. Like that's right. what it's gonna be like. There's there's in one of the bonus features, there's a screen from one of the uh, I believe one of the early censors. <laughs> yeah, of this a giant ass black bar. It's amazing. And it's, it's just fifty percent blackness. <laughs> it's, it's like at the least sixty percent of the film or seventy. The whole of the bottom of the yeah, screen. Yeah, the whole bottom of the screen is just a black bar. It's so wonderful. Uh but yeah. It is uh as I said, a nineteen seventy six film uh French co-production because they had to uh, get all of the negatives out of the country before they developed them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because the actual development how, would have hundred percent been illegal. They would have gone to jail yeah. for that shit. Yeah, which is which is how Oshima uh, avoided prison. Uh, they eventually tried to arrest him for obscenity charges when they published. Uh, he and the uh, production company published a uh, a script. A printing of the script that had stills of the uh, right, right, of the film in it, and uh, there's a really great line from from one of the bonus speeches that uh, uh, Oshima apparently in court explains that when he wrote the script, he passed it around to all of his colleagues, and none of them found it titillating. Yeah, so right, he's very right, sorry to have turned on the judges and the and the police officers. I'm sorry that all the police <laughs> found this extremely exciting. Yeah, it's very good. It's very good. Uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, Wikipedia describes it as a pornographic art film, and uh, I think 
Oshima, at least, and, and maybe me too, uh, I'll take issue with uh, calling it pornography. There is a lot of nudity and a lot of uh, uh, uncensored and uh, unsimulated sex acts yeah. in this movie. But uh, it is it is not shot like porn. No, it is not no. Meant it is to isn't. titillate. It, it is, I mean, uh, it, only in the sense that, like, I would say that the closest you get to making it, to, to coming off as titillating is the fact that, like, it's acted well enough that the people involved seem to be really enjoying themselves. Sure. So, like, yes. if if you find people in, in engaged in sex who are enjoying themselves titillating, I can see where that comes guess, from. But it's not pornography right. in the sense that its explicit goal is not to provide right. sexual arousal, right? right. right? Like, and this is not its goal. This is actually a very interesting thing that Criterion served me up this time. Uh we have talked about Don Ritchie in the past. Uh, he is a uh, American film scholar who uh, particularly takes interest in uh, Japanese film and film of other uh, other uh, Eastern cultures. Um, but we've run across him basically any time someone ha- an American essay essayist has uh, eroticized or exoticized the East in in any episode we've talked about, uh, it's been Don Ritchie. And because of that, I have a pretty negative opinion right, of Don yeah, Ritchie. Yeah. I mean, I uh, couldn't remember but, his name, but we, def- like, right, we definitely, right. I've definitely said not nice things about him. Yeah. Um, I think the last time he came up, he may have been in one of the videos uh, for, uh, for the last Ozu movie we watched. Um, but I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, um, He's, uh, yeah, I generally don't really like him. But the the essays for this one, uh, perhaps ironically, <laughs> uh, he defends it as uh, not porn, first off, um, as, as, as a politically charged movie instead of a sexually charged movie, um, quoting Oshima himself quite a bit. Um, where Oshima, Oshima talks about in a very interesting way. Oshima talks about how the Japanese censorship made this movie pornography. Yeah, by... no, his his description of what what well, not so much a pornography, but made it obscene, right? Like the the specific yeah. thing he's talking about is is the argument that by by heavily censoring it, you you've you've cr- you've committed obscenity on art, right? You've taken what right. was art and made it obscene, uh, which is an which is it's an interesting valid argument. Like, I mean, it's you get the problem is is that that like the problem is that really you run into with obscenity laws themselves is you're getting into like sort of very philosophical arguments about like what like you're getting into like what's the meaning of life sort of arguments with like. Right, but in right, like a right, fucking right. court, and it's like it doesn't make sense. It's not the place for that kind of thing, right? And so, like, the discussion about whether or not censorship makes a thing that wasn't obscene obscene is a very high-minded philosophical argument for a very non-high-minded sort of mode right, of operation, right. right? Like, it's like, yeah, this is a very fun and interesting argument. You're also making it to a bunch of judges who are not going to bother to analyze it on that level because they can't afford to like that's not their not really their job their job is to throw you in jail because they're japanese judges and that's their job um so 
know. Yeah. Well, the uh, the Criterion essay from Don Ritchie really surprised me, not only because it was uh, the first time I'd read something from Don Ritchie where I wasn't repulsed by it, uh, that I found it to be a respectable piece of commentary instead of an exoticization of uh, of the films. Right. Right. He's talking about. Yeah. But on top of that, I got to the end where there's the little blurb on the author and if the essay was previously published, that's that's where it says it. And discovered that that this essay in particular had been previously published in the Studio Ghibli monthly magazine. Yeah, which is Donald not a thing Ritchie's I knew existed, defense. but like I mean it Donald checks out it makes defense sense. But... In the realm of the senses. Was in well, a Studio Ghibli mag. It's worth and I noting love that. that that like the the sort of image that is is tied to Studio Ghibli and like their image in the West doesn't necessarily carry over the full context of their image in Japan. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, uh, because of yeah, like no, the political totally activism activism that comes with that studio and their films. Like I can a hundred percent believe their magazine would have an article <laughs> defending in the realm of the senses. It makes honor. I did not know they had a magazine, but it makes sense to me that yeah. they would. Yeah, no, it, it does make sense. It just was, you know, so it is much. Weird. It is still a weird thing to read. <laughs> so much okay. in America, Ghibli is tied to you know Disney in a lot of ways, right? Right, right, not, right, right. Not idealistically necessarily, but it's obviously still like Disney animation is Disney for is children doing. Yeah. But Disney is also doing the translations, right? Those are oh, do they? Like, I don't. I, yeah. Even Mononoke was a Disney release, so because we yeah, it's weird because we don't get the Disney releases here. We get an English translation yeah. that's separate from the Disney release here. Interesting. Like nearly every Studio Ghibli DVD or um, uh, Blu-ray at this point comes with an English subtitle track, but it is not the Disney one because then it would be the Disney release and it would be weird. Like it wouldn't, it's not, it's not the Disney version of the movie because it is a separate release here in Japan. Like that's not, we don't get the Disney version. We get the, the original studio Ghibli version, but it has this English subtitle track. It might be the English subtitles made by Disney, but they've somehow disconnected them from Disney. They've like removed them from the hands that pried them somehow from the cold dead hands yeah. of Disney and put them on their, on their DVD. Which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. That is kind of weird. Uh, right. Because that... you, that it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange thing because it's one of those weird things that you can buy a Studio Ghibli DVD here. It is not a Disney DVD and it 100% will have an English subtitle track. Guaranteed. Very interesting. Um, is it, I wonder if it's the same English subtitle. I don't know because track. I've never, I've never actually seen a Disney version or Disney release yeah. to be able to compare them. I have no idea. Well, uh, do they have recognizable voice actors? Uh, well, not, the the Japanese the Japanese version doesn't come with an English voice track. It only comes with an English subtitle track. Um, there you go. So, I, like, if you want to hear them speak English, well, that's not true. Some of them do come with an English voice track, too, but it's not a Disney release. I don't know. I see. Yeah, it's anyway, a mess. I think a, it may just be this entire like, side yeah, conversation we don't totally need to have right now. Yeah, but, we do not need to talk yeah. about that. Uh, anyway, very very interesting that this was published in the Ghibli magazine. Yeah, to, it is to me. 
in any case. Uh, but yeah. Um, Richie also does, there's another uh, thing that comes up on the Criterion website that's not actually listed as a bonus feature that I saw uh, in the bonus feature list, but maybe I just missed it. Uh, but there, he apparently in 1987 put out a uh, a book that was just short biographical profiles of people. Uh-huh. Uh, different people, pictures of some Japanese is what, literally what it's called, <laughs> um, which is kind of a weird, weird title too. Um, but, uh, but he originally published it in 87 and then re-released it in, uh, in 2006 uh, under a different title, Japanese Portraits, Pictures of Different People, which is a little less... Uh, exoticizing I well think yeah i mean referring to a group of people as like they're not like just yeah. a, a picture of so pictures of some japanese yes, some japanese Wolf. yeah yeah anyway um the uh the criterion pulls two of those one is a uh a short piece on sada abe the woman that this movie is based off of right um and one is on um Eiko Matsuda, the actress who plays Abe mm. in the film. Um, and both of them are written as if Richie met them in person. Right. But There's some first... one of those is impossible. Yeah. Because... Well, when did Abe die? Well, I don't know, but it... I mean, I guess it is possible, but, like... Like, that would have been really... Like, I mean... Even if she was an eight, even if she was only, I don't know how old she was when she was arrested. She died in 1971, so it's possible, but she would have been very old. Seems she sort of disappeared in 1971. <laughs> it's it's questionable if she died in 71, it looks like. Right, I guess um, that's true. Well, yeah, I mean, like, this is probably not somebody who wanted to live on the public stage, despite, despite having a relatively, not necessarily negative legacy in Japan. Um, she's not someone I would imagine who would want to like want to like go around giving interviews all the time. Right. Well, it's not formatted like an interview. Richie's Richie's uh, profile of her, and I guess it is maybe slightly believable. I'm sure Richie himself was born in 1924, so reasonably he could have been well right okay so alive more than once in during Japan the 1960s the film critic donald ritchie visited the uh was it hoshikiku sui which is i guess where she was working um, yes and in his collection of profiles japanese portraits he described abe making a dramatic entrance in a boisterous group of drinkers descend a long staircase that led to the middle of the crowd fixing a high gaze of the yeah, you're you're reading the synopsis of, yeah, of I what mean, I like, read, but yes, I mean, yeah, maybe. I think it is reasonably believable that he didn't make it up. I guess. It's yeah, fair. but you know what? Anyway. Like, I'm. I cannot. I, I can also believe that he is kind of just making some stuff up. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like. Yeah. Uh, I don't get the impression that necessarily adherence to strictly exact exacting details of what happened is like a hallmark of his of his style. Well, these uh 
I've only got two to draw from, but it does seem like some of the... Uh, he uses some creative nonfiction uh, and creative fiction to fill in some gaps of, of the nonfiction pieces he's writing right. here. Uh, believably. Uh, it is... It is equally possible that everything he describes is real and yeah. 100% true. There's not like any magical realism in any of them <laughs> or or surrealism. Right, right. Uh, it's just, yeah. Uh, he described his experience with Abe is that uh, she was working in this nightclub and she would, uh, she would enter down this big long staircase that no one knew what was at the top of. There were rumors that she lived up there. There were rumors that through the doorway at the top of the staircase was just a ladder that went back down and she had to climb up the ladder to, to make her entrance every night. And there really was no second floor at all. Right. Um, but, uh, but she would enter and she would walk down the stairs and the men would react by like covering their crotches. And she had like this comedic back and forth with them right. the entire time. Um, but, uh, but she was apparently kind of a, I don't want to call her a folk hero. It doesn't seem like she was a folk hero. No. But almost a folk it, hero. It's worth like, noting that, like, literally every Japanese person knows this story. Yeah. Like, she is incredibly famous. Like, as in, like, like I'm trying to think of a, a good parallel because, uh, you, like, this is a name you can just say and every everybody knows. Like yeah. down to the last person, but not it doesn't necessarily regard it. It's not really, as far as I can tell from talking to people, and this is this has come up. This is not. This is by no means a new thing for me to have a conversation with about with people in my life here. Like I yeah. did not know this was about her until we got into the movie because none of the criterion like setup information tells you who it is. Yeah. Which is weird. It's always like based on a true story of two lovers. And I'm like, and then I get into it and I, I hear her name the first time. I'm like, oh, okay. I yeah, know this story. I know this story. Um, yeah. And so, like, it's, we're talking about one of the most famous women in Japanese history, in modern Japanese right. history. But, like, right. not necessarily regarded positively or negatively. Like, kind of just well, like, just sort of a well-known story. Like, when you just talk, when you bring her up, people don't say like either really negative or positive things about her. Just kind of yeah. general things, like they know the story. Yeah, and obviously with uh, with Ashima's own comments on it, we're getting his view from right. you know the seventies on how people reacted to her in the thirties. So, but it is interesting the way he frames it is that her case happened in 1936. Yes. So the same year as the February 26th incident. Yes. And and he frames it as people attached to her uh, because her story was one of a rejection of the lockstep militarization of Japan at the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, these I were, mean... These were people acting wholly in self-interest, and that was itself so different uh I, that uh yeah that it became respectable what to a a general <laughs> generation what i would <laughs> say is is that she was definitely editorializing his view of it 
I would say. Like, mm-hmm. it was definitely, a, I mean, like, everything I've read, like, more like just sort of historical accounts of, like, the time period and everything like that. I mean, perhaps he's right. Uh, my my view of it would be that, like, it was definitely a newspaper sensation. Like, like biggest news, like, huge news, right? And, like, definitely she was not, she was regarded with sympathy by, like, quite a, a large per- portion of Jap- the Japanese population, it se- seemingly, based on, like, just sort of historical records. But I feel like the part about the rejection of the sort of lockstep militarism, hard to say about that. You know what I mean? That seems yeah. like editorializing in the sense that, like, he's a he's essentially a new wave director who's also fighting against sort of the sort of a right. modern sort of corporate imperialism. And like he's gonna read into things what he what he feels right like he's gonna put his own sort of personal biases on that. It's right. possible that's his, what it was, but I don't know. I would never. We will never know. Yeah, and his his use of that as his interpretation of the events obviously play out thematically right. in the movie. Absolutely, right? you know, sometimes more overtly than others, like in the scene where uh, where the man is in the street and the soldiers march by and he walks in the opposite direction, ignoring them. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. What? And you know, of course the, the entire thing is, is still about that, that self-interest to, uh, and rejection of societal norms and society in general period. But, but yeah. Um, Richie's, uh, Richie's other profile, as I said, is on, uh, is on Matsuda, um, who he says he met in, I believe it was either Paris or Rome. She had been living in Europe. Um, and again, this was written in 87. And you had said, I think right before we started recording, that that your information from Japan is that she essentially just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, her her uh, Japanese Wikipedia like article is like pretty, pretty short. It's longer than the American, yeah. the English one. The English one is like essentially just a blurb. Uh, right. The Japanese one, if memory serves, when I was reading it, I forget what it says. She like so she went to France in 1982 to make that last film that she made. She didn't make very much film work at all after that. And then it says right. like after like there was a picture taken of her at a a Chinese film festival when it says somewhere when when it was in 2000. Oh no, that's when she died. Where is it? Oh, maybe I, do it doesn't that. seem like it has a date on it, but I, for some reason I thought it said a date. But like, it basically says that like at one point there was a picture of her taken at a film festival, and that's the last time anybody heard or saw from her ever at a Chinese film festival. Yeah, like interesting. Which is just it's yeah. a weird thing because like, not that like, uh, the only news after retirement, yeah, it would be like. A photo from a film Chinese film festival. No one knows how or when, how or like how she came to be at the film festival or how the photo was taken. Basically, is the Japanese Wikipedia article and like the thing about it is not that like one would be like it's possible that they diverge in the sense that like nobody read Richie's article essentially in Japan. Like it was just right. never translated right. into Japanese and no one ever read it. That happens. I mean, like they get different sources of information, but essentially. She's a ghost in Japan after like this movie comes out. Yeah. She makes a few more. Well, she makes like a pink film. She makes like a couple of those Roman, uh, for what they called them, those like 
Roman yeah pink, they were like, like Roman pornos I yeah think, basically like basically like modifications of Caligula kind of style stuff a couple of pink yeah. films and then that one in Paris and then she's gone like she just doesn't work in film ever again basically so I mean it just I found that one of the more fascinating things about this movie is that like she's just like this didn't like give her a career you know what I mean? Like she was, it seems right. like a, basically a black box theater performer before. And like, maybe she continued to be afterwards. Maybe that she went back to that lifestyle. Yeah. We don't know based on any <laughs> right. of the documents that exist out there. Yeah. Yeah. Fuji, Fuji became sort of a star. He got, well, he I mean, got he was already starring yeah, roles offered yeah. to him and he was already well known. Uh, but she, yeah, she got offered a few pink films according to Richie's writing. Um, she uh, was offered some new new dancing contracts um, that uh, uh, that he frames as uh, performing live what the censors had denied the general right, public. Right, right. Um, was the framing on that? Um, his telling of her responses, he. He formats this in a very creative nonfiction sort of way where it's not actually an interview, but he's writing it as if they are in conversation, but not direct quoting. It's very it's it's odd. Um, So he has this this paragraph on uh, him speculating on what happened to her. She was a good actress, as she had proved, but no starring roles came her way. Only porno parts. She was also offered new dancer contracts and more was suggested. And then there's an M dash for the next paragraph that says, uh, oh no, that's not the reason at all, she said. Her skin brown in the failing light, St. Peter's black. I didn't care what the press writes. If I did, well, I wouldn't last very long. No, really, I like Europe. I have this little place of my own in Paris, and I do like coming to Rome. So she's very, in Richie's telling, she's very uh, framing everything as if she's just doing what she wants. Which is, but he writes it a little bit like like she's justifying and and trying to right, be apologetic. Which is, which is I mean, we we kind of get into what's kind of problematic about Richie anyway. Which is like, yeah, if she says that, that's what she says. He has no f- right. facts necessarily to back. You know what I mean? Like he's really like he's have like. The amount he injects what he wants the audience to believe into it is, like, really intense. Like, that's a hardcore way to say she's full of shit, basically. Like, it's... And the thing is, right. is, like, what we're getting into, regardless of what she say, like, regardless of what either of them say, is that, like, I mean, if she had a desire to be in film after that, she wasn't. And if she's in Rome or wherever she's living... She's supporting herself somehow, and we don't know because for whatever reason she steps out of like she's no longer in anybody's frame of view to the point where yeah. like no one's there's no at least no one. This is a famous enough movie that her, the Wikipedia article attached to her would more than likely probably contain information if it were like readily available, and probably to a certain extent I couldn't if I were gonna make the Wikipedia article. <laughs> Richie's article would not necessarily be a like reliable source to like say what happened to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like those offers of parts and stuff are all very suspiciously couched in sort of just like 
the preamble of a paragraph about what she says about herself. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's another, it's weirdly written. Another weird thing about the Richie biography parts, um the essay the full essay was much more interesting than the biography stuff to me. But another interesting aspect of the biography parts is that he wrote the whole profile of Abe, and that's a separate piece. And then this are this other profile on on Masuda um, presents new information about Abe that wasn't in the Abe one. Okay, um, where where he makes a claim that when Oshima had gone to make this film he wanted to get abe's permission um and found which the timing doesn't if she died if no one knows what happened to her after 71 <laughs> it seems unlikely that oshima found her <laughs> when he went to make this movie right. uh at least half a decade later um but he uh he describes abe as uh essentially ending up in uh he calls it a kansai nunnery Okay. Uh, with her hair shaved, devout, and making no objection to the film. Um, so that happened used... somehow between the nineteen, the late nineteen sixties and nineteen seventy. Like, the, like the time frame of that is pretty wild. If he's like finding her in bars in the mid sixties, and then like, right, right. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. This is where I, where, I don't, I'm very suspicious. Where Richie gets really, really spurious. Uh, anyway, he uses he uses her supposed uh, hiding out in the nunnery at the end of her life as a uh, to frame Masuda. Uh, he he talks about Abe ending up in the nunnery. And then comes back to Masuda saying, it's easy to make out that I'm some kind of martyr, run out of my own country, Iko Masuda said, smiling. But believe me, it wasn't like that at all. And then Richie gets one more paragraph when he says, one needs not to have one's hair shorn to expiate. One could also have it newly coiffed. Her Paris dress was as black as a nun's habit. She had, in her own way, become Abe, had paid something of the same price for doing so. There are various kinds of nunneries. So like <laughs> Richie, Richie with his Masuda profile, very much, I mean, he calls her a nun, right? He says <laughs> like, despite her protests, he frames her as in exile, in hiding, having run away from whatever negative attention she had from, uh, from doing the movie, which is uh, really weird. Uh, yeah, to I not mean, take her at face value, um, right, yeah. you know, as a journalist, as an essayist, uh, it is also his job to not take explanations at face value. But he really seems to be reading a lot more into it. Like, to, he, she came to meet him at a Roman cafe in a black dress, and he compares it to a nun's habit. That's uh, that's maybe going yeah, a little I too mean, far, he, man. I my impression is. Uh, has been and like this is this only sort of is that like the world must fit his feelings rather than yeah. the other way around right um right right, right, pretty, right pretty intensely i will say like that like um Abisada is like or uh her wikipedia article in japanese is just a fucking wild ass romp and who knows like I, I don't have the time to sit here and like translate it. There's a whole there's whole right, swaths right, right, of paragraphs right. that are unsighted. Like the Wikipedia article on here looks like a fucking nightmare. 
It's like unsighted, <laughs> unsighted, 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 unsighted. It's just non Like, essentially, the entire part that we were just talking about where there's no information, like where we're like, we don't know what happened, is just a long string of unsighted uh, statements about what happened to her on the Japanese Wikipedia as well. It's just random, pure speculation. Random interviews with, with street bums. It's, it's not even it's that good. Person. It's not even that good. It's just basically like rumor has it that, and like it's just that for like basically after like 19 fucking 56 or something. It's just yeah, like nobody not... knows, but here's what people say. And like right. if all the things that, that have been said since so. now, since the start of what we talked about between Richie and this article, if all these things were true, I mean, she's some DB Cooper ship at this point. Like, basically, like she's just <laughs> yeah. No, it can't. Po- all this cannot possibly be true because she would be a Superman that can be in like seventy-five places at one time. Even what Richie himself wrote about Abe cannot all be true. I would, I would, I think so wager too. to I, say. I agree, and like, and legitimately, like, literally, none of this is cited. Like, the last yeah. cited reference for a date. Is holy shit! This is the worst article I've ever seen on Wikipedia. In fact, <laughs> in fact, Wikipedia is like legitimately angry at the people who wrote this. There are like weird yeah. citation marks that are like extreme citation marks, like as in like this is a spurious claim that has no backing information. <laughs> it's like holy shit! Like you guys are like really like like this oh, this article. Great. I I would not be terribly surprised if in some ways we would discover that this article is a battleground for some sort of culture war thing that we don't want to be involved in. Oh yeah, what uh, the what the Mishima guys do on their day off? Yeah, is like go and like fucking deface the the Abe article. Yeah, the Abe article basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Pat, many many years ago, yeah, uh, we watched La Matrice. You uh, tell me that I don't Barbet remember Schro- but, no, the kidding. Barbette Schroeder film yeah. starring Gerard Depardieu with uh, with at least one image you'll obviously remember of the UFO stairs coming down from the ceiling as the entryway into the. Uh, I will never the, forget that information. I will never yeah. forget that for the rest of my life. It is it is literally Adam the reason why I decided we needed to start making uh, posters. Oh yeah, yeah. I never got to yeah. use it because it was too late by the time. But, like, that image was so but, stuck yeah. in my head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, for for reasons of availability at the time, mm-hmm. I ended up having to purchase that yeah. film. And it happened that uh, uh, there were a lot of people in and out of my house mm-hmm. uh, the day it arrived because a friend was getting married. A roommate, in fact, was getting married uh, mm-hmm. at the time. So... Uh, so some, one of my more conservative friends, uh, saw that film and asked about it and cause it was just sitting on my dining room table, still half in the shipping right. box. And, uh, I explained what it is and, and he sort of half asked, half accused of, of how can you watch a movie like that? Uh, and not, and not be sinful. I guess is is the easiest way okay. to like. How can you watch that something with 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 sex and nudity like that and not be lustful after it? And uh, that's really actually pretty easy with the Criterion stuff because most of, most of the sex we've encountered 
<laughs> over the course of this movie, uh, where where it's like prominently part of the films, and I think particularly of uh, of La Matrice and this film at this point. Uh, but it's always it's it always and uh, and the Night Porter. Like it always ends up in like sadomasochistic stuff. That, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I'm not turned on by this anyway. So, right. Like, I mean, you know. But that. But then again, that's a personal thing, right? Like, I mean, like there are people but, who are, and but like, yeah. but like whether or not the film, like that that entire question yes. is so intensely predicated on a very specific understanding of what sin is and like what like right right like, right and, like, and this whole purity culture thing like yeah. if um, you know that's i mean it, which makes it just fundamentally a kind of broken question because if the people who made the film don't if that's not the like right if that's not what that's the film not is the about point of any of those movies <laughs> right like none of those movies are about Trying to titillate it. I mean, La Matrice maybe comes the closest, well, I but mean, even that is not. Right. I mean, they do have the purposeful intent of transgressing against that particular culture in a lot of ways. And a lot. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and that requires you to, and it's really fascinating because like, but also it's important to predicate that like those, even films that are specifically intended to titillate people are not fundamentally wrong or bad. And and, oh, of course, and, and of a course. lot of the people who uh, yeah. make these films are engaged with that argument as well, right? That like part of their goal is to engage with that conversation and force people to realize that they've classified things in a very specifically puritanical way that like is not really relevant. That has no no right. bearing on art, right? Uh, uh, and, and and you know that it is a it is a fascinating. Thing. Like I mean. You know, I go through the same thing here. Not quite to the same extent because, you know, different situation. But, you know, it's like, well, well this, what's this film right. about, right? Um, I mean, this one was a fascinating conversation because I didn't know what it was about before I started. Uh, and then after, it, it became a very interesting conversation about, like, whether or not this, like, w- would you want to watch a movie like this? And it's like, well, hard to say, right? Like, in your own free time, right. hard to say. Um, and I think... I think it's even on your end. It might be even be more interesting because if you're having a conversation with people, it's like, before you watched it, knowing the little bit you knew about it, it's like, well, maybe you wouldn't be interested in watching it. But once you find out that it's a biopic about Abed, right? And maybe, so I had a really maybe interesting, it does become more right. I had a really interesting discussion with my wife about it because she's like, it's like, well, that's a, a topic that people are legitimately interested in. It's a, it's very fascinating actually because we brought up um, Richie and like talking about like it's fascinating because. We're using Richie's article as a ground point, a grounding point for this discussion about uh, Abe because it's a it's in the Criterion Collection, everything like that. But like, oh my God, there's so much writing about Abe; it's fucking ridiculous in Japan. Oh, like, I'm you sure. Can, like, it's. Just, I mean, there's can, there's at least what three other films of yes, telling and, their and there's story just too, countless right? writings about it. Like, and yeah. so and and so. You know, this is a a perennial topic of interest for Japanese. So, had I known, I mean, I don't think that Rumi would have been interested in watching the movie anyway because it's it's a lot. I think she would have gotten very it tired of it very quickly. Yeah, because like, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I actually to sort of engage more directly with the film itself. The thing I found really interesting about it is is that um, the way that I've never really encountered a film that's quite this much. 
in the, in our experience. Like even thinking back to those those other films that were purposely transgressive against uh, sort of the the sort of whether the rules or the well, value systems that they're working. I will against. say I think. I think Salo was more That's than this. That's not a fair comparison. But, We're not going to talk about it because Salo is not explicitly actually a sex film. Salo is a no, torture film. No, that is film. fair. It's why I didn't bring it up when right. I was talking about sex right. films. We, we, <laughs> but yes. we have watched films that are about sex. Salo is not about sex. Um, sex is used as a weapon in Salo, whereas that we've right, watched films right, that are right. actually about sex. And it's important to understand, uh, in my mind, this is probably the one that has taken it to the extreme. In a really fascinating way, in that essentially there are almost no scenes without sex in this movie. Right. It is essentially nonstop. The entire film progresses in dialogue and conversation and emotional uh, like discussions between the main characters while they're having sex. And right. in that way, it's really it, I find it really fascinating that way. But it is a lot. Like you essentially eventually have to, to a certain extent, shut off your brain to. The fact that they're just constantly having sex because it is more a distractor than anything else, right? Right. Because like right. what you're actually doing is listening to their conversation and watching their conversation, watching their eyes and their face, and it's a really fascinating and they're, kind of exercise yeah. almost in that way. Right. And watching the relationship develop that that ends up, you know, sort of justifying this this action where they are so into one another that death and dismemberment do not separate them right, right. well so, I, I you know yeah. it's really interesting like I, there's a lot there's so much interesting like in terms of like the extra material in this one too i found the extra material that went with this movie to be really fascinating because they did mm-hmm. an interview with um with fuji right uh about his part and in the interview he described their relationship in a really this movie has multiple descriptions of their relationship which is really the, the extra material, I should say, has multiple descriptions of their relationship and all couched sort of in that person's personal view of right. their relationship, which is really fascinating in and of itself. But Fuji describes it as like his sort of almost like ultimate martyr, the uh, martyrdom for his love, right? Like, yeah, it, it, because he's coming from a very specific perspective, his very specific perspective, which is like, isn't it beautiful that this guy like, was willing to die for his love. Right. Whereas like, that's a definitely a personal read on what happens in this story. Right. Like in the sense that like, definitely we get the movie itself and the story itself definitely describes their passion being sort of like constantly growing to the point where this is how it ends. Uh, but like it doesn't necessarily inherently have in itself this idea that he like sort of like borderline Jesus martyred himself for like for her right, lo- like right, for her pleasure, right. right? Like that's sort of a personally a Fuji read on like what happened here. It's really fascinating to like listen to different people describe this story. Yeah. Uh it's really oh, just absolutely. a fascinating thing to go through with this movie. Yeah, um, that's very that's very true. Uh, there's a lot of very you know we get that uh, that French interview, uh, Oshima and his actors, um, where the <laughs> where we get we get the most 
it's it's still not really terrible, but it does approach some of the worst French uh, French opinions on Japanese film yeah, that we've experienced too. <laughs> um, but uh, I really love the part in that interview where uh, where Oshima gets asked uh, by the French interviewer how his how his actors reacted to or or felt about the film and he essentially just shrugs and points to them yeah like, and says like hey, you answer this why don't yeah. you just why don't why don't you just ask them they're sitting right here what are you doing right yeah <laughs> which well, is really good yeah the but. entire interview is really fat that interview is fascinating because yeah the the french questions are okay uh Oshima's yeah. answers are really interesting to listen to he provides really right. fast like his answers are really insightful into his perspective on Japanese cinema at the time and Japanese sort right. of society at the time. So I really enjoyed the interview, but the setup questions themselves were kind of like, boy, howdy. Um, especially when they kind of get into this, like, like <laughs> one where it's like, what was it like? Japan's making a lot of porn these days. What do you think about porn? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Like, all right. All right. Well, pot kettle much here france right right, right. <laughs> like boy yeah. you've got a very specific opinion about what kind of art is produced in japan don't you it's very i was like wow what a weird question to ask this this you've got this yeah. very amazing director who you can ask these really insightful opinions about japanese cinema too and your questions are things like hey what do you think about all the porn coming out of japan right now and then, like, yeah. oh, we're not getting any good Japanese films anymore. What do you think that's all about? And it's like, and Oshima provides really fascinating answers to it for like really shitty questions. Just absolutely not very right. well done right. questions he's, at all. He's providing much more interesting answers than the questions that are being asked. Like, like that question about, uh, we're not getting good Japanese movies now. Oshima. Uh, walks a very interesting line and he says that it's very hard to make a movie that is acceptable in Japan that also has international appeal. Right. Which, which uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just thinking about in terms which of Which is way- a fascinating which is a fascinating answer, particularly, you know, given the amount of other Japanese film we've watched, but also in seventy six, maybe that is a good answer. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I think it is, actually. I, I think, like, it is a good answer, and I think it's a, because it, it kind of plays into a really interesting thing we've talked about before, which is the way that Kurosawa is viewed very specifically as a essentially Western director and something not right. necessarily making films that are explicitly for Japanese audiences. Uh, and And there is a real serious question, right, like, about how much a film would play to a wide audience overseas, right? Like, you're always going to be able to, like, to a certain extent, get the film buffs to watch your film. Right. Like, that's always going to be a thing, right? But, like, if your goal is to ship a film overseas and actually make money on its release overseas, after all the bullshit it has to go through to do that, it needs to have fairly wide market appeal, right? And if you start to think about, like, the way that the film... Like, this is just a thing that I think about more often than I should probably. 
is that like the way that the American film industry has done that essentially is by creating a sort of semi-cultural hegemony across the world about what is right. quote unquote a good fun right. film to watch. Right. That's the way they yeah. managed to make make it so that they can do mass market releases of films worldwide that like that actually make money. Right. It's like well everybody wants to see the Fast and the Fur- Furious movies because we've established that like. This is what a fun action movie is. I'm not maligning them right. because I also enjoy watching them. Uh, they are fucking ridiculous, but amazing. Um, I have not seen the new one though. I don't know yet about that. But like, um, I'm sure it's the same. I'm sure it is. Uh, but like, I mean, if nothing else, the escalation alone is. I can only imagine right. what what happens in this one. Um, right. I, they still haven't gotten to space though, which is kind of wild. Um, really shocking, actually. But. Uh, my my point is is that uh, like other countries can't necessarily wield that level of cultural power on the world, right? Right. So you right. either have an audience that's already in another country that is interested in what you produce, which is essentially where you're at now with things like Japanese anime and to a like you'll notice the Japanese live action films, which are still very many of them are produced do not have wide releases over overseas. Well, not right. sorry, I misspoke. They don't have wide western releases. They do actually get wide releases in sort of the in the the sort of tighter like Asian and Southeast right. Asian sphere. Uh, over some seas, but not all of them. Right. Like well well places where those actors might be well known and like where people have like engaged right. with that material enough to be like interested, right? Um the same as like we get Chinese releases here that like probably don't get seen <laughs> like in America. Maybe they do. I don't know. I haven't lived in America in so long. I don't know. But we get a lot of Korean films here. Like we get just because the audience here has engaged with them enough to be like interested in that material, period. So they know that they can like release it here and like sell it, right? And it'll make money. Even if it doesn't come to the theater, it'll certainly come to the home video market, and you'll be able to watch it in with Japanese subtitles and like watch the movie. Um, so like his, his Oshima provides a really interesting answer because he talks about universality, but he also brings up the fact that like Japanese, the three ish Japanese companies are not really interested in necessarily. He even sort of talks about they're like what they're making movies for the Japanese market. Why like? they don't necessarily see a profit in shipping them to France. Mm-hmm. Like does France have enough of a Japanese obsessed audience at this time to like, that will go to the theater and pay for a ticket to watch this Japanese film. Right. Is, is a really like a question, right. Uh, you know, and, and if they do, yeah. will they understand what's going on and a lot of other things like that. Right, right, yeah. No, his answer is just really interesting. His answer is like interesting his answer, top to bottom. It's really fascinating. his answer is really interesting. I'm very fascinated by him as a director. Um, yeah, uh, in that same interview with the uh, with the French media, um, Masuda gives a uh, a very interesting answer about her relationship to the character and the film. That uh, when she first read the script, she says she had an inferiority complex about doing it, that, that she didn't think she she could be good enough. Uh, but that by by the time filming started, she had basically 
decided it was her destiny to do this film, I think is her exact words. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is very interesting too. And, uh, you know, we get, we get more from Fuji because there's a, there's a interview with him separate from this. That's, you know, 15 minutes long or whatnot. Um, where he's real interesting, particularly um, his speaking to the the scene where his character walks by the military march. Um, he says that that was that was the scene that made him decide to do the movie, right? And to hear Oshima, to hear Oshima talk about the movie, that scene is sort of the. The one of the few times where the subtext of the film becomes the text of the film, right? And in what nearly he wants. cut it, right? Like nearly, right. like and yeah, yeah. And then to have to have Fuji tell the story that he nearly didn't even cut it, just wasn't going to shoot it, right? That's right. Like yeah, came yeah. to him, came to him days before the shooting of that scene was scheduled, and said, "Hey, do you mind if we don't do this?" And Fuji's like, "Yeah, yeah, I do mind if we don't do that." <laughs> I, that's why I wanted to do the movie was to do that scene. Um, it's very interesting too. Uh, I mean, in the end, I'm, I'm a big, I'm really happy that Fuji put his foot down on that because right. while it is the point at which the movie's subtext becomes text, it is kind of vital in the sense that yeah. without it, the movie is too subtle. It is, it I is. Think- I think that's fair. It's yeah. certainly unreadable to Western audiences, probably almost entirely. And even within Japan, right. even even with that scene, it's almost entirely right, unreadable right. to and Western even, audiences. And, with, and without general, that scene, even within Japan, putting contextualizing when and how uh, Abisada's story takes place in its proper context and place, and understanding its relationship to what you know Japanese life was like at the time would. Not be impossible, but be very difficult, because my understanding is that like while this story is very well known, it's not exactly like often con- like perfectly contextually placed by the people who learn it and tell like tell it and learn it right? right. Like they know it happened during that time period, but like it gets very compartmentalized, right? It's like well, this is ha- this happened, right. but you know like. You know what I mean? Like the idea that it was that it's like that closely connect, like closely timed uh, with like the February twenty sixth stuff, like is not a thing that like that's just not how this it's taught to right. Japanese children, and, and that's, that's not how they understand. That's not surprising it. to me, right? No, that's not at not all. In no way. Uh, like and so like with that, the movie has to do that. Otherwise, otherwise, essentially. The movie does become pornography, in some ways, because not not necessarily that you know I say it just because by losing that contextual moment, you sort of you you like unground the movie from its world, and like you wouldn't even yeah. actually know when it's taking place and what's going on in the world necessarily at all. Yeah, no, that's very, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Pat, I don't want to be crass here. Okay. But uh, in thinking about, you know, the 
unsimulated sex. Mm-hmm. And obviously simulated sex is convention. And if everyone's on board with doing unsimulated sex, I I guess I don't sure, why not? Um but it seems that any justification on unsimulated sex is about realism, right? Yeah. Um so to that end, uh does the movie lose something in that they didn't really cut off Fuji's genitals? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. They should have done it. He should have been willing to go all the way for his art. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're if you're doing unsimulated sex, why not unsimulated gore? I guess is Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I will I will say I will say that like what makes this movie very fascinating to me in a, on a sort of meta level is in order to violate censorship laws and make this movie the movie he wants it to be, Oshima has to do unsimulated sex. Right. You, you know what right. I mean? Because if he didn't, he probably wouldn't have necessarily – I mean, I guess he – I guess he could have made a model. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in order to violate censorship laws, he has to show penetration. Like, he has right. to do. He has to show genitalia, and he has to show penetration. I guess he could have had clay mock-ups made so that, like, but like, my point is, is that like, it's a really fat. The, the movie's meta commentary is really pretty wild and fascinating, right? Because in many ways, the justification for what happens in this movie is the purposeful violation of Japanese censorship laws. Right. Like, like it or not, part of the, the purpose of this movie is to be, is to be hyper provocative to force. Like, I, I think on top of, you know, talking about like meta commentary, I think even on top of that, the way, the way we've talked about how Japan talks about Abe's story is itself a commentary on cultural censorship. Yeah, So to have Oshima show it so graphically. Right. It's like, well, we've got this this story about this woman who cuts off her her, uh, lover's uh, penis and carries it around with her. And and yeah, but like people at the time sort of justified it or at least didn't condemn her for it. And there was a reason for that, and the reason for that was their entire sexual history and and their relationships. So, uh, but we're not we're not openly talking about that aspect of right, it, right? Yeah, he's yeah, telling I mean, a full story to an extent, absolutely. And by telling a full story, he is challenging cultural norms in doing that, right? Absolutely. Right. And, and and you know, it's in, you know, I mean, there's a there's like. This movie comes with far, far too much to unpack in any amount of time we have right, available right, to us. Right. Like, but like an important thing to bear in mind is that like, in many ways, in many ways, Oshima is also fighting the Japanese imperialist army of ni- of the nineteen thirties, because right. he his the censorship that he is fighting against is a direct one hundred percent like descendant of that regime. Right. Yeah. We, we want to like there's a narrative that somehow there's this cultural break at the end of World War Two and, and Japan is sort of reinvented by the American occupation. The American occupation did much of the same things that it did in other countries, which is like, hey, fascists. Want to stop? Pretend, you you want to still 
hey, you want to still be in charge? You just got to be on our team now because the communists are coming. <laughs> right. um, and right. so, like, the censorship laws that Oshima is fighting against are literally censorship laws that, as far as I can't remember, but I want to say are actually were on the books from before World War II. Yeah. And and I think no I read that somewhere that it's literally that's the only one that didn't get that's the only censorship law that didn't get removed from the legal canon after World War II by the like it's literally the only one that's still on the books. Yeah. And like well, you know But like what I mean is like he's that, still fighting that war. He's fighting that right. the 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 war that the sort of anti-imperialists in Japan were fighting against the imperial like against that army during that era, a war they very much lost, um, is a war that's still being fought in the sense that, like, these these censorship laws are inherently fascist. They just are. Right. And, 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 and order- I think beyond just your framing here, I think of, of, you know, the whole Mishima thing happened in 1970, right? Mm-hmm. And that is you know, tying fascism into its hyper-masculinity. And this is also a story about a woman who uh, took her life in her own hands, but also about her male lover who was submissive to that fact. Right, yes. Yeah. Cer- certainly her life in, in, in Oshima's version of this story. I've, right. ne- I've never read this story in enough detail to know if that is a, like, a major part of the plot. Of like right. the, the real story, but certainly in Oshima yeah. wants to talk about the fact that of 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 a different kind of masculinity, right? Uh, and I think both in in how you were framing and and maybe my little twist on that, he, Oshima kind of failed. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Just, just in in aftermath, not not in the creation of his art, but in the actual, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't make any social change in Japan necessarily well, with this. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because what, we've talked about this before. If you believe that your movie is going to re- change the world, like, yeah, you're going to be sa- sorely disappointed. And but, I don't know that he necessarily did no, I don't believe think he that did his movie either. was going I, to change the world. I think but. if you look at a history of of art in Japan, especially post World War II art, these these purposeful like attacks on the Japanese censorship laws are done like by like a pink film, like um, what's his name? Uh, now I forget his name. Wakamatsu, I think. No, was it was that his name? The guy who helped him helped Oshima uh, make the film. Shit, I forgot his name. Was it Wakamatsu? What was his name? I can't remember now. He, they did an interview with him, and I can't for the life of me fucking remember his name. Um, but like, he was a pink film man, uh, like producer and director, mm-hmm. and like, he's he, they had to, basically he's like Oshima met him, and like they needed to do partially he's involved because like, hey, you're a person who can get people who are willing to be like film naked people and like knows right, naked right. people. Um, but like, uh, and also it also seems like Wakamatsu is also. Famous in his own right, partially for also being like fuck the censors, uh, to in his in his own spe- like specific way, right? Um, but like, Oshima is 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 part of a whole a larger group of people who have spent a lot of time in post World War II Japan, trying purposely in many ways to generate censorship cases, 
not just for publicity, but also to at some point hopefully overturn those censorship laws, right? Like the way that you do, right? Like you just just keep hitting the courts with like more and more absurd things that they have to justify, right? Like I'm reminded of the very unfortunate, uh, she's unfortunate to bring up, I can't remember her name anymore. She's the woman who made the vagina canoe. Um, I found out later, I think she turns out to be a turf, so that's a whole nother issue. But oh boy. But but she literally rode down a river in a canoe modeled after her vagina to hopefully force the courts to send like you know what I mean, to force that kind of case is like, okay, like where are you drawing the lines about art and like can you justify your censorship, right? Can't remember her name. And again, I'm pretty uh, sure she Rakude Nishiko. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she turned out to be a turf, but like that's a whole other whole other can of worms. I feel like I remember reading that somewhere. If I'm wrong and I'm maligning her and she's not, I'm sorry, but you know. Um, well, maybe I should forget that we remembered her name and just <laughs> anyway. Well, yeah, but my my point is there's a whole like there's because these censorship laws are on the books. There's a whole sort of effort in the artistic community in in Japan that's been going on for quite a long time to keep forcing that to keep kind of coming up and keep hopefully eventually break through that. It's the same reason that you um, fairly often you get uh, court cases in Japan about uh, about gay marriage or something like that because the hope is that eventually you'll force a court case where they finally just break down and like be like this is a bad law and we need to fix it. You know what I mean? Like kind of thing. Um, but yeah. I, I Oshima's in in good company and, and maybe very much and it seems like he's very much a pioneer in that in that uh, endeavor. Um but yeah, like he's he's the work the the I don't think the goal was necessarily to fix the society as much as it was to be like tell me this isn't art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like tell right. me what I did right. here was not art. Right. Everybody on earth other than you agrees that this is art. Why do you right. think this isn't art? Uh, well, kind of thing, and, and and actually, as it turns out, everybody on Earth doesn't agree that this is an art because it gets right. censored everywhere, the, and then gets the censor boards here. of every other country in the yeah. world also did not agree yeah. that this was not art. But yeah, but I mean, but and, but, but yeah. you know, but in to that extent, right? Oshima's not. That's part of the universality of this film, right? Is that Oshima's attacking Japanese censorship laws very specifically because they are extremely draconian. But right, like he's also part of that. We're all in this together, right? Like he's also attacking all the other countries' censorship laws right. at the same time too. Tell me this is an art, and cut parts of it out, and do your obscenity on my art, right? Like, commit your obscene act on the art that I'm making, right? Is a is a sort of a you know that kind of that that effort, um, right? I right, I, yeah. It's it is a fascinating movie, um, not. Not one I will probably sit down and watch again. I mean, uh, I don't know if I would ever but, watch it again. I could see myself buying it if I ever ran across it because it is just such a fascinating yeah. movie. In the sense that, like, it's like I don't think I've I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this, like in my entire life, right. and I don't think I right. ever will again, probably. Um, but like, one of the things I did want to talk about before we stop talking about this movie was. Um, the conflicting descriptions of finding the actress and actor that you get depending on whose interview you're getting into, right? Yeah. 
because yeah, it, that's weird. In when you when you get into the discussion of is his name Wakamatsu? What the hell is his fucking name? I gotta go find it. Um, I think it is. Uh, the guy who like the sort of secondary director who helped the the pink film director who helped sort of usher this into existence in Japan. Um, yeah, he describes it as like, well, we just took a bunch of pictures of naked ladies and like mailed it off to France <laughs> and let them choose. Right, like that was like, and like we we. The, it, his description was essentially, oh, acting, wh- what's that? Like, irrelevant. We just needed, like, the person who looked good naked, right? And then other descriptions of that process was like, oh, well, you know, we found a lot of really good actresses who were, like, actually willing to, like, to take on this part and, like, you know, and, like, that was the easy part and it was actually really hard to find the male lead because Japanese... Actors don't want to get naked on film, which I could right. maybe under I can I I can see that uh, based on my like experience here. Like, it, yeah, I can see where that comes from. I could I could see that statement being very true. Um, but like, I don't know. It was like in one one person's description of finding the actress, uh, the lead actress was like, oh, you know, like we had these like quite a few women apply for the role and they were all really good actresses and we we're trying to like decide like you know who's the best you know really like very much on art on our, like acting ability and talent and then you've got wakamatsu's description which is like yeah we just mailed off some nude pictures and like the, the right, french right. guy the french guy guy guess just pick somebody and it's like these descriptions could not be more connected yeah could wait you could are you are right connected. You are right on his name. It's Koji Wakamatsu. Thank you. I, um, I just couldn't I, find I him love right. him because because in the interview with him, he's he's got like a stereotypical porn stash going. Yeah. He looks like he looks like a, the director of a pink film. Absolutely. Uh, no. One hundred percent. Like he yeah. looks like. Yeah. You could like. like yeah. What's this guy? But do? I love. Give me. I'll give you yeah. three guesses. Oh, right. Uh, but it's. Uh, it's interesting that you know that that interview with him is also intercut with like that assistant director whose name I can't remember either, and I'm never they, I'm not going to, be able I, to find I out. I couldn't find it because like I <laughs> yeah. missed it when they put the little thing up on the screen, and right? They never repeat right. it, and, and then I'm they like, never oh, fuck, right. I missed it, and it was like yeah. I don't want to go back. But he talks. He talks like he says particularly that uh, he always had Fuji in mind for the role. Uh, but then they had to go through a whole bunch of other people, and like it was his job to go buy porno mags to 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 get uh, to get the test so, pictures, yeah. yeah. And then and then he says that uh, that when uh, when Oshima finally asked Fuji to do it, they they left it to this guy to actually explain what the movie was, right? Because they like go to the same <laughs> bar and stuff all the time, and yeah. and, and actually, weirdly yeah. enough, that lines up with the description from Wakamatsu. Also, is it, it actually lines yeah. up? It's like that's the only thing that like seems like it almost feels like it's the only thing right. that's like not fully Rashomon then, story, where it's like, oh yeah, right. we went to the bar and we we got drunk with him and but then even, asked him. Yeah, but even Fuji's even Fuji's description of it is kind of Rashomon from that because he. He implies that he knew what the film was about, right? And then right. they went to the bar, didn't right. talk about the movie at all until four a.m. And then one of them said, "Hey, are you going to do the movie?" Um, and he said, "Well, I would have, I would have left already if I wasn't going to do the movie." Right. So, well, and that 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 one line is present in all three, in like at least two of the of the accounts. <laughs> right, right, right. But right. like, it's just like the sort of setup is totally different in the sense of like. <laughs> 
like how much like sort of like plying and like coaxing was required and stuff like that. It's yeah. Those accounts are really fascinating because they do paint a re- like. It's very rare that we get this many sort of disparate views on the same work that are all essentially telling the same story. Where essentially right. the director, the essentially the commentary section provides its own separate sort of meta film about like right, like right, what right, exactly right. happened here, like yeah, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, we'll uh, we'll see more from Fuji as we see more from Oshima next week. Okay, uh, good with with Empire Passion, uh, which uh, is only rated R, not rated X, okay. uh, in international release. Uh, but it's from 1978 and uh, adds a adds a horror element to the oh boy the way too much sex movie, uh, as it is a story about a uh, uh, a woman who has an affair and her lover murders the husband and then the husband haunts them. Cool. Uh, oh, classic. Yeah. I'm I'm actually excited. Yeah. Then I so love nice, I love nice a good Japanese haunting. Japanese uh, horror story element uh, added to. Uh, to the repertoire. After Empire Passion, we won't uh, we won't see any more from Mishima for a long time, but we will see more from him eventually. That's a shame because, uh, like, when I when like when I was talking to to Rumi about this, she's like, "Oh, this was made by Oshima. That's wow! I didn't know that. Like, it was really like yeah, very interesting, you know, very well known director. And it's weird that we don't like have hardly anything. We've gotten yeah. this far without well, eventually- having anything of his on our on our on our list. This yeah. is weird." Eventually, we will watch Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, uh, which stars David Bowie, and uh, which uh, which is from 83. It's actually the movie he made right after uh, Empire Passion. And uh, we've got... At I'm excited about this. This movie is famous. I'm, I'm, I, it's well known. Yeah, that's, so a, that's a pretty famous one. Um, and I believe we will eventually also watch Death by Hanging, which is... Oh, uh, yeah. That's the one that essentially got him his introduction into sort of the French film making scene, isn't it? Uh or something like that. That wouldn't surprise me, but it is uh it is a black farce about uh about capital punishment too. So Yeah, you know, no, I'm I'm ex- al- I, it's gonna be a long time before we see it, but I'm excited yeah. because like yeah, that's an important topic. So look uh looking forward to more from Oshima, which I was not expecting to say when I <laughs> When I first sat down with my with my graham crackers to watch in the realm of the senses, uh, again I I lean towards Salt Peter because it is of it's much yeah. more draconian like connection with like <laughs> right in American history. Salt Peter probably actually works. I don't know. I think it probably just raises your you. blood pressure a lot, <laughs> or something like that. Fucks with your blood pressure in some way. Yeah, might anyway. work that way. I guess. Um, I guess it would have to lower your blood pressure a lot to really. I don't know. I I, I, don't know. I only know that it was widely used as a way to, specifically on on people who, yeah, like prisoners and stuff like that. I just know yeah. historically. Makes so. sense. Oh. Anyway, we've been talking about In the Realm of the Senses, uh, whose Japanese title is apparently Bullfight of Love. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like that's a generous reading, like in the sense that, like, yeah, like it's got a a Japanese a a, a Japanization of a Spanish word that, as far as I know, no Japanese person would know how to read. Um, <laughs> like, would know what it means. It, it's possible in like the 1970s, like Japanese people were super into like Spanish bullfighting, like 
it's yeah. I, interesting. If you told me in 1976 that like talking about and reading about and watching movies about bullfighting was all the rage in Japan, I would 100% believe you. But if you say like Korida, like Korida to like a Japanese, they're not going to. I do not believe they will be like, oh, yeah, the bullfighting term. <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, any case, uh, doesn't matter what the Japanese title was because it wasn't released in Japan. So, um, well, I mean, it has been, it has had multiple rep- releases in Japan. I, I mean, it was and released even a with censored version was released ja- in Japan. Yeah, the 1990s, yeah, they, that, 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 like, I guess sort of Japanese French uh, production studio did a, a re-release like Gaga films or whatever did like a okay where it was like significantly like was censored in line with general Japanese pornography rather than like censored in line with like giant fucking black bars that cover the entire bottom half right. of the screen. Right. Uh, so anyway, you know. uh, as I said, we'll be back with more Ishima uh, next week. So thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am as always lead on glass with me as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Austin Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.